It's quite hard if you're a Christian to try and explain to a non-Christian what we mean by the Christian battle and what is involved. It's not like the Islamic idea of jihad. It's not the the notion of fighting, um, sometimes literally fighting, to defend our faith. If you start using language like, you know, the devil attacks us and so on, then sometimes that is really misunderstood amongst Christians as well. But once you become a Christian, you'll not have been a Christian for long before you soon discover that your faith is under attack and that you personally are under attack. And sometimes we we are conscious of the church being under attack. And we're going to look at what that means here and how we deal with it. This fourth piece of equipment, the Roman soldier would have a shield. It would be a long um, oblong oblong one. It wouldn't be one of these ones that you have, um, you see kind of, you know, Scottish clansmen with a wee shield and the big sword. It's more, it would be one that would be, a shield for me would be six foot. It really would shield your whole body. Six foot by three foot. And that would cover most of us. It was two layers of wood that were glued together and covered first with linen and then with hide and then bound with iron above and below. It was called in Greek, it's called the thyros, uh, from which you get the word thyroid. And for those, again, of you who are medics, I'm not going to impress you with my knowledge of what the thyroid is, because I don't really have a clue. But it's quite important, uh, so I'm told. But that's, that was it. That was, that was what you had. You had this shield. Now, I want to think, first of all, about why we actually had it. Um, and it's, here is uh, a verse from Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who are standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The name for the devil means the accuser. Evil is not just abstract, it is personal. It is very, very hard for us to get any kind of concept or idea of the devil because most of us have grown up with cartoon images of the devil. You know, the wee guy with the pitchfork that sits on your shoulders. Or um, some who are maybe a wee bit older, or you don't even need to be older. Uh, In the 1970s, there was a whole spate of films like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, and that kind of idea of the devil. Even now, your classic horror movies, if they're not horror comedy, are generally associated with some kind of demonic force, you know, haunting a building or... Uh, attacking somebody. And those kind of images actually live deep within our, our, our psyche. There is a danger that we overplay that, and there's also a danger that we uh, turn away from all of that and deny the existence of the devil. 
C.S. Lewis wisely put it, if you read the screw tape, screw tape letters, that the two big mistakes that Christians make with the devil, one is to say he doesn't exist, and the other is to give him far more power than he actually does have. Here, we are told what the devil does. The devil is a personal, spiritual being. He's not omnipresent. He's not like God. He's not everywhere. He does have his angels, devils, uh, demons. But he does seek, the Bible says, to destroy, to devour, to, to attack. And here we're given one of his, his weapons, his favorite weapons, these, these arrows, these darts, these fiery darts. Torch arrows were fired into the enemy's ranks to set the clothes on fire. They were fired into a city where they could wreak havoc. The devil doesn't just throw arrows that wound and penetrate, but flaming darts that burn, sear, and scar us deeply. They are fast, unexpected, have immediate effect, and are deadly. Now, we smile at Martin Luther, or those of us who know about him sometimes smile at him. He's a very literal guy in in lots of ways. And uh, there are times when Martin Luther would be studying and praying and, and thinking about what to do, and he would be so conscious of the devil's attacks upon him that he would pick up his ink pot and throw it across the room at the devil. It's the equivalent of you um, throwing your iPad. Uh, like, well, maybe you wouldn't throw your iPad because you worship it too much, but it's, you wouldn't, it, it's, it's the equivalent of whatever you use to write, to put down your things, that, he, that Luther would throw that and throw it at Satan. He couldn't see Satan. He knew that Satan wasn't a physical presence, but he sensed the assaults of the evil one. And I think that these assaults come, as we have in the verse there from Zechariah, in accusation. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Satan accuses us for a reason. It is not to lead us to repentance, but to despair so that we will be paralyzed. Sometimes it is really important for us to be made aware of our sin. It is really important for us to grasp where we've got things wrong. The Holy Spirit comes, and He doesn't accuse, He convicts, and there's a difference. The Spirit comes to convict of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. The devil comes to accuse. The Spirit comes, as we saw this morning, to break our hearts so that we will seek the Lord. The devil comes to break our spirits so that we will despair and give up. And those accusations, I know that the wee cartoon character of the devil putting thoughts into our heads, we, we, it is a caricature, but there is a huge element of truth in that. There are people, and maybe some of you here, your lives have been crippled by the accusations of the evil one. You believe him because there's usually an element of truth. You believe him and you believe that you're condemned you believe that you're hopeless. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to wound and he wants to hurt. The second way that the devil attacks, and it's a very subtle way, is through doubt. Now, there's a doubt and a questioning which is not necessarily wrong. But there is a doubt 
that comes as a spiritual darkness over us that is devastating. It's practical atheism in our minds. There are very few people, again, C.S. Lewis, and he's so good when he's writing about this. He says, there are very few people who reason themselves out of faith. Most people who say that they're not Christians will say, well, I didn't see the evidence or it didn't make sense to me or whatever. But you will find that most of your more militant atheists are emotional atheists because that's what they feel. They feel it. They don't reason it. They feel it. There's a kind of, sometimes, even for us as Christians, there's a kind of raging inferno within. There's a phrase that we read, or there is something that is said, and you're sitting in church, you're hearing something, and this thought comes into your mind. You don't even want it to come into your mind, but it's a thought that comes almost out of nowhere. It seems as as it's come from nowhere, which says, you don't believe this. This is not true. Now, what most Christians tend to do when that happens is completely panic. Because they go, oh, no, maybe I don't. Maybe, you know, maybe I've been lying or maybe it's not true. Or, you know, and they, 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 they do panic and run around almost like headless chickens. For some others, it is, a, it is almost as though there's a sense of darkness that overwhelms. Uh, it's, it's, it is really, really hard to describe. I can only describe it from my own personal experience. That yes, it has happened in my life at various points, not very often, and I'm thankful for that, but at sometimes just this darkness that comes, what if? What if that's not true? What if you've been fooled? What if you've been... Um, my most strongest experience of that was, uh, well, like I said, the two strongest experiences. One was in the University of Edinburgh, and one was at Dens Park, actually, uh, which some of you may find somewhat strange. But both those experiences were really, really, really dark experiences where our mind gets confused. Where And you say, well, if, if Christianity is true, how can that happen? If Christianity is true, how could I doubt it? If God is with me, if the Holy Spirit is with me, why would I feel this blackness? Why would I feel this doubt? Well, it can. Job says, the arrows of the Almighty are sticking in me when he's talking about how he feels and his doubts about God and everything else. But what if Job was wrong? And I think he was. What if they were not the arrows of the Almighty? Sometimes people will say, well, God is harsh. God is unfair. God is arbitrary. We tend to think that all our inward promptings and all our feelings all come from God. But do they? What if they come from the devil? At least sometimes. That's why in the New Testament we are told to try the spirits, to test the spirits. Sometimes you might feel something and, yeah, question when you feel stuff that's really good. Question, where's that coming from? Why do I feel this? But question also when you feel stuff that is really bad. Don't just assume that the stuff that is really bad is true and that you're feeling it because it's true. It's like you've got a married couple who are together or let's say, let, no, let me take an example of a couple who are not married. They're engaged to one another and they're about to get married. And the guy uh, phones you up and says, I think I ought to call the whole thing off. I'm just not sure. I'm not certain. I, I you know, uh, oh, I've got doubts. I've got fears. Now, I suspect that many people 
who are about to get married, before they get married, have doubts and fears. And it's very close. It's very similar to this kind of thing. Now, the person who feels that, we wouldn't say to them, all right, you need to break it off because just because you feel that. What you need to do is you need to back off a little bit and examine it. And I think that that is the same with Christianity. That sometimes when you have this feeling of dread, this feeling of blackness, this feeling of doubt, this feeling of fear, and some of you will not have experienced this yet. But the only reason I'm saying this to you is not to kind of scare you, but is to say you probably will. And don't be unprepared for that. This is where this shield comes in. But I want to say this to you. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Can I suggest this, that the voice of God is not the voice of fear? And when you hear that little voice inside your head saying, maybe God is not fair, maybe God is not just, maybe God is not real, I want to suggest to you that's not God, that's not you, that's not your mind and consciousness and so on. I want to suggest that very, very often that is the devil wrecking havoc with the way that we think and how we feel. And there is a certain human arrogance in all of this as well. Because we tend to think that what we think is real and how we think is the way it must be. But that's not true. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with somebody who's suffering under vast illusions or grand illusions. But if you met somebody who felt, you know, that the Russians are after me and there are Russian spies under my bed and so on. It's really, really hard to argue with someone who feels that. It's, it's not rational. You start telling them, no, there's not a conspiracy against you. There's not a plot against you. You then become part of the conspiracy. It's very difficult to argue against a conspiracy theorist. But it's an emotional reaction that they have. It's a, it's a, a psychological thing. And I want to suggest to you that spiritually the devil can work in us in that way. So those doubts can come there. Now, as I said, there are other kinds of doubts, if you like. You know, did Jesus, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is he doubting the goodness of God? I don't think so. But I think he's, he's questioning what's happening, what's going on here. I think that's healthy. But there's an unhealthy doubt, which basically is one that leaves you in a blackness and a despair, and the devil uses that. Third thing he uses, evil thoughts. Lust, malice, bitterness, for example. Sudden temptations, foul thoughts. You, you, haven't, you haven't been watching anything particular. You haven't been thinking things. And all of a sudden, the thought comes and you think, where did that come from? Where did, where did that particular thought come from? Where did that blasphemy come from? Where did that impure thought come from? Where did that ugly thought come from? I remember one man telling me that he was driving along in his car and all of a sudden he had a thought that went like, what if my wife and children died? And it wasn't a fear thing. It was kind of like, what if I killed them? It was just, where did that come from? Is it, does it come from a darkness within? Is it, is it kind of a Freudian subconscious idea? That may be part of it. But maybe that's what the devil is using. You know, what I find quite extraordinary is I can sit and read a book and sit and watch a television program for an hour, two hours, and it's no problem. And I can go on my knees to pray, and within five minutes or five seconds of starting praying, all kinds of thoughts start coming into my head. I can be in church, and uh, 
hearing God's Word. And you just get hit, bang, 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 with, with all kinds of thoughts and fears. And, uh, you know, you, I remember once uh, sitting at a com- communion table as we had this morning and just suddenly thinking about another Christian, why are they so horrible? And it was just, it was bizarre. It just came completely out of nowhere. And then, I mean, it was, it was really, really, really disruptive. And I think the devil can use those kind of evil thoughts. And the problem with that, again, is to deal with them rationally is so difficult. When someone suffers, for example, they've watch a lot of internet pornography and they suffer with lustful thoughts. You can understand why they would suffer with lustful thoughts because what the pornography does is it doesn't satisfy, it just feeds. But the thing you can't deal with it in this way is you can't just go to them and say, stop thinking lustful thoughts. Because the minute you try to stop thinking something, you start thinking about it. It's just so difficult and so hard. And that's the devil coming in in that way. And we'll see how we deal with that in a moment. Another one, the fourth one, is fear and persecutions. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The devil does cause us to be afraid, persecutions, all those things that are involved. We were praying for Pakistan this morning. What must it be like to be a Christian in Pakistan knowing that your neighbor could accuse you of blaspheming the Koran and you're going to go straight to jail and maybe to death? That's a horrible burden to live under. We don't have that but we may have different types of fears about persecution. From when you're at school, accused of being a Bible basher, afraid of being discriminated in your work because you are a Christian, and so on, all those things. So those four things the devil uses, I think those four kinds of arrows, the accusations, the doubt, the evil thoughts, and the fear, some of them come indirectly, Some come through an oppressive sense of evil. There's a... Sometimes there are places... I know this is kind of weird and kind of strange. But there are places that you go into and you go, there is something good in this place. And other times you go into a place and you just have this overwhelming sense of evil. There is a story told of a... uh, Christian preacher who was going to Montrose a long time ago, it's the time of the Reformation. And just before he got over the hill to Montrose, he felt this sense of evil about Montrose. Now, I'm not saying Montrose is an evil place, but he just, he totally felt it. And he, he just decided he turned his horse around. And his horse was quite troubled as well. And he went away. And it turned out that there were a group of people who were there who were waiting to kill him. Sometimes you can be in a situation and you know this is not right. This is not good. There is something just unhealthy about this. It can be that oppressive and that direct. Sometimes they can 
come from within us. Sometimes they come all at once. Sometimes there's a period of calm. Then there's a barrage of things that happen. So that's what the devil does. What is the shield of faith? That how, do we, how do we fight this? Now, it's not just saying, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. When someone has doubts, for example, just to go, I believe, I believe, I believe, is about as useful as a person who is thinking, I've got evil thoughts, I've got lustful thoughts, for example, so I'm not going to think them, I'm not going to think them. It, it just doesn't work like that. The word here carries this idea of a door, something big, um, something that sometimes even a, a close, a big stone that's put against the door to stop it being opened. And so the idea is that of a closed door to the devil's arrows. It's an image that comes throughout the Bible. Just mention a couple of verses, Psalm 7 and verse 10. My shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. The shield of faith is the shield that God gives to us to protect ourselves from all these arrows and assaults. And we have to use it. We have to put this on. We have to develop it. We have to use it. And I want to go through some ways that we do that. Firstly, you've got to recognize that you are under attack. If we think it's God and not the devil, the battle is lost. If we think it's just from within us and not the devil, the battle is lost. Sometimes you've got to be aware what is happening here is a spiritual battle. I don't understand it. I'm scared of it. I, I can't explain it all. But I know that this is something that is going on that is out with me. It's not just about me. And you need to recognize when you are under attack. Now, that is not the same as blaming everything that happens to you on the devil. It is not the same as saying when you don't wake up in the morning, that was the devil made me do it. Demon of laziness. It is not the same as that. But there, there will come points in your life where you say, I do not understand why this is happening. It's just one thing after another. And maybe Satan really is having a go. Secondly, you've got to have this faith all the time. You've got to have this shield all the time. It's like one of these um, sci-fi films, the kind of sort of Star Wars thing, or um, where, what was that dreadful film about? Independence Day, yeah, where you've got these spaceships that come down and they can't even get the nuclear bombs onto them because they've got these shields that, that protect them. When the shield is down, then the arrow will come in. You don't put the shield up when the arrow is there. You, you, we have to have this shield of faith all the time. Third thing I want you to notice is this, that it's not faith. The shield of faith is not just that you're saying, I've got faith in faith. That's what the cults do. Faith is never blind. Faith always points to an object. Faith never turns in upon itself. Genesis 15 in verse 1, we read this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. See, there's a subtle trick that the devil plays. You read this, the shield of faith, and what you do is you say, right, I've just got to have faith. I've just got to have faith. No, you don't. You have to have Jesus. You have to have God. The faith is having Jesus. The faith is believing what Jesus says. The faith is believing God. Uh, again, let me give it as a, a kind of personal illustration. Sometimes I've been through in the back there praying and, and going, I don't want to do this. I've got nothing to say. Um, I can't do this. And 
I have to preach to myself. It's not about you. It's not what you can do. You have to trust that God will honor His Word, that it is His Word. Whatever you feel, whatever your personal circumstances, this is not the issue. The issue is, let God be true and every man a liar. Faith in that sense is really just openness to God. Chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's what we call saving faith. Faith in Christ, justifying faith, holy leaning on Jesus Christ. It's like you, you ask a child, a child may be standing on one of these chairs, shouldn't be, but sometimes they do, and you say, come on, jump, I'll catch you. That child has faith when they jump because they believe you. They don't believe that if they've got enough faith, they can jump and not be hurt. They don't believe if they've got enough faith, you can dodge the bullet. It's not faith in themselves. They believe you and they trust you. Well, that's how it is with Jesus Christ. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That verse is so often misquoted, Hebrews 11, because Hebrews 11, people then say, ah, well, this is you've got to have faith even when you're blind. No. If you read the whole of Hebrews 11, what do we say? We read things like, Moses saw Christ and looked for, he regarded his grace for the sake of Christ as being of no consequence. Abraham saw what was ahead in that he, you know, he believed and he had faith that there was a city yet to come. All these people in Hebrews 11, we're told, were commended for their faith. They acted on the trust that they had in God and in Jesus. Because it's because you know who God is, because you trust who God is, because you believe in Jesus, that you can then advance when you do not see things, when you do not understand things, when you do not grasp things. It is a very strange definition of faith where people say, I believe in God when I see and understand it all. Because you never, ever will. But it's also a wrong definition of faith to say, well, I just believe and I don't need to see anything. You actually operate on the position of all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. So for me personally, this shield of faith is most effective in my life when I think about Jesus and who Jesus is and what He has done. Sometimes all the big questions, all the, how did this happen? How did that happen? What does this mean? What does that mean? Sometimes I, I find myself just saying, Lord, I don't know anymore, but I believe you. I believe what you did. I believe what you said. I believe who you are. By faith, we flee to him when those arrows come. Faith lays hold of God in depression and doubt. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are saved. Such a strange expression, really. What does it mean? It just means that when things are overwhelmingly against you, you don't look to yourself, you look to Jesus. McShane put it beautifully. He said, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Now, I suspect that you and I, if we're Christians, most of it do the other way. We look at ourselves, we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves. Oh, and there's Jesus for a wee bit. And then back at ourselves, and back at ourselves, and back at ourselves. But McShane was right. For every look at self, take ten looks at 
Jesus Christ. Faith is a deliberate and a positive holding on to the Jesus of the gospel. It's a firm and resolute dependence on the Lord. It's Romans 8. Believing that if God has given us Christ, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? But how then can we have faith in a God that we are doubting? Though every word of God is flawless, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It is written, you stand on the promises. When Jesus was being tempted, he was being tempted to doubt. He was being accused. He was being tempted to evil. And what did he, how did he respond each time? It is written, the devil used the Bible against him, but he used it straight back. You answer God, you answer Satan rather, with the word. 1 John 5 tells us, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. So I might feel that something is wrong. I might feel that I'm useless. I might feel that uh, God has let me down. But I go to God's word and it tells me that uh, God doesn't let his people down, that God doesn't lie, that God isn't evil or unjust or malevolent or, or whatever that, that we may feel at times. And that's the faith that says, Lord, you are good and the giver of good. The shield used to be, was well soaked in water to extinguish the flaming arrows. And one of the old Puritans, and I love this, I think it's Thomas Watson actually, says that just as the shield is, was soaked in water, so our faith is to be soaked in prayer. We are to be soaked in the word. If you're soaked in the word and you're soaked in prayer, then you'll never be set on fire by the fiery darts of the evil one. The shield of faith also prevents panic. And we're inclined to panic. We're like that uh, dreadful caricature uh, of in um, Dad's army, Corporal Jones, who keeps running around going, don't panic, don't panic, and of course instilling panic. If you were to go into a crowded cinema and to start shouting, don't panic, don't panic, you're going to create a panic. The shield of faith, when the devil attacks us, we're inclined to panic. We're inclined to despair. We're inclined to overreact. And the shield of faith says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute, this is beyond me. This is up to Jesus Christ. And just one other thing. The soldiers used to march together. They used to put up their shields together as they approached an enemy city and prevent the flaming arrows thrown from above. You watch one of these medieval films. Uh, do you know this morning I said uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart and none of you pointed that out. Well, one of you pointed it out. And Louise is nodding. She saw it as well. Of course, it was Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ. But if you see one of these things like Mel Gibson in Braveheart and so on, you get them all the, the shields up or you're, they're approaching a castle and they put all the shields up as all the burning oil and everything is poured out upon them. Um, probably a better illustration of that is uh, any of the Lord of the Rings battles where uh, you see them approaching with their shields. Well, Christians are not meant to fight alone and we're meant to use our shield of faith to help and protect one another against the flaming arrows that are thrown from above.
It is wonderful when you are wounded, when you are hurt, when one of those arrows has got through to know that there are your brothers and sisters around you who are holding up their shields and who are believing with you, believing for you. It is great to have the community and the fellowship and the protection of the church. Do you know when um, we talk about communion, sometimes I mentioned this morning excommunication, and again, that's just a really strange idea to a lot of people. But it's really interesting what Paul says, that somebody had behaved in a certain way that their body would be handed over to Satan so that their spirit would be saved. What did that mean? What it meant was this. There's a certain protection in the church. There's a protection spiritually. And what was happening was this person was going against what Jesus has said. This person was rebelling and turning against Jesus. And Paul says, put them out. Put them out because you love them. Let them see that without the protection of the church, without the protection of God, they're not going to make it. They can't just ignore God's Word. And in a sense, that's just precisely what excommunication is. It's saying you're out because you choose to be out, because you choose to disobey, because you're deliberately going against God. You're not coming under the, the authority and discipline of His Word, and you're rejecting Jesus Christ. And it's done to encourage them to return with penitent hearts once they see how they cope on their own. Last thing I'll say is this. From Psalm 28, verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks to Him in song. You're not your strength and you're not your shield. The Lord is your strength and your shield. My heart trusts in Him and I am helped. You don't make bargains with God. You don't negotiate with God. God is your strength. God is your shield. I love, we we sang this morning, um, Great is thy faithfulness. And it, I I love the line, very uh, strong line in it, that God gives strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. He doesn't give us the strength for tomorrow. He gives us the strength for today and He gives us the hope for tomorrow. That is what the shield of faith is. And you take that together with all the other aspects of the armor, and you will be able to withstand through the grace of God and by the help of the Holy Spirit and in community with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ all the assaults of the evil one. May God bless His Word to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Bless it to us. Help us to appreciate it. Help us to understand it. It's not easy talking about our own personal experiences or hearing about experiences that we may as yet not have had. Pray for those who as yet don't know You. I ask, O Lord, that You would uh, come to them, that they would come to see that their only hope can be in You. I pray for those who are Christians who are faced with these accusations these lies, these evil thoughts and doubts and fears that just can sometimes come in like a flood and overwhelm. Grant us the shield of faith. Grant us to believe you and what you have said. O Lord, help us 
not to be so trusting in our own hearts, whether they condemn us or whether they reassure us. Help us, O Lord, instead at all times to look to you. We do pray that in this week that lies ahead, whatever lies before us as we have sung, we would know the 10,000 reasons to sing and to be glad. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.